0: I'm Andrea Affesconi, and welcome to Quidel Ortho Science Bytes. In this episode, we'll be talking about sigma metrics. Six Sigma was first used in manufacturing to decrease the number of defective products made, improve cost efficiency, and reduce process variability. Six Sigma strategies were then adapted and applied to many other sectors, including in vitro diagnostics and laboratory medicine. With me today to discuss this important topic is Johanna Miller. Johanna is a data scientist at Quino Ortho. She spent 10 years in product development, where she gained expertise on the automated vitro systems and the data they generate. Now she focuses on developing methods for using data to bring insights directly to labs. Thank you, Johanna,
1: for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Especially because, you know, this podcast, when I was when I was pregnant with my son recently, you did an episode on the weak RH factors in the transfusion medicine space. And I had actually just undergone an issue, believe it or not, where my blood tape came back from my, you know, as part of the pregnancy screening as O negative. And I had always been O positive when I donated to the Red Cross. It was this whole back and forth. And uh, yeah, it turns out I'm one of those rare people. So that was right when that podcast came out. And so I I just, it was perfect timing. Oh, wow. I'm glad I'm glad you could make a connection to the
0: topics. Congratulations on becoming a new mom. So for today's episode on Six Sigma metrics, let's start with some definitions. What are Sigma metrics in the clinical laboratory space? So
1: Sigma metrics, they're a way to measure quality. And what they kind of do is they distill two metrics that laboratories often calculate, which would be accuracy and precision and they distill them down into a single metric and what they do is that and the calculation is done relative to an allowable error so the calculation is your allowable error minus your bias which is that accuracy term over your precision and what you get is a number that's ranges from zero to six with 16 you know higher quality
0: and can you provide some more detail around what the terms accuracy and
1: precision mean? Yeah, so um, like if you were a runner and you went out in your morning jog every day and you ran a mile, on average, you were, you know, you ran a six minute mile. You're doing pretty good. So, but the thing is, you're not really running a six minute mile every single time you go out for a run, right? There's all these factors. It's you know, are you feeling good that day? Are you you know, maybe not with it is the weather not cooperating, and and so there's there's variation there, and that's that's precision. So precision is how much variation there is around your average, and then um, like accuracy or bias, is in in the context of like the clinical lab space, it'd be how far you are from the average. So if you average a six minute mile, but most people doing that same run average an eight minute mile, you're actually doing better, right? Your your bias is too um, in this case in a, in a good way. So, when you talk about the other the last piece of that calculation, the um, the allowable error, that would be kind of like saying I have to run a mile in less than 7 minutes. And I I know that sounds ridiculous from you know, a morning jog perspective, but that's the kind of thing that laboratorians have to deal with every day. You know, you have to produce a test result that's this close to a particular value. And so what's nice is this: all three of those factors, you know, how close you have to be, how consistent you are, and how close you are to truth is all factored into that calculation. Well, that's very helpful. And thank you for the analogy.
0: That's definitely something I can relate to when uh, using the running analogy.
1: So what variables play a role in sigma metric values? So... You know, when you say what that question is, kind of what I'm hearing is, okay, it's what plays a role in quality. So anything that impacts quality impacts sigma metrics, because sigma metrics are a measure of quality. So absolutely, the assays that a laboratory purchases impact quality. Same with the instrument that they're running on. Both of those are very important factors. But I mean, That's not the only thing. The the lab itself has control over the quality of their results. So, you know, their material handling and and lab processes all play a role in quality, and they're all factors for the sigma metric result that you would get.
0: And if I wanted to know the sigma metrics for a particular assay, how can I measure them?
1: So really what you need is you need to know the components. So you would use, um, typically you would use your QC. So the precision of your QC, but there's two ways to go about it, right? You can either, you can look at your historical QC data or you could run a new, a new study. So that's kind of like saying, you know, with the, the run analogy, um, you can either look back for how quick you ran for the past month, or you can say, I'm gonna record myself, how fast I run every day for the next 20 days. And both are really valid but you know historical metrics tend to be they tend to be considered a little more representative just because we all know that if we're measuring ourselves that we we tend to do a little better right it might run a little harder
0: and what action can a lab take once they have
1: information on sigma metrics so the nice thing about sigma metrics is that Because they account for the bias and the precision and specifically that allowable error, the calculation results, everything is on the same scale. So all of your assays, every assay that you include in your your analysis would end up on the same scale from zero to six. So yes, you can look at individual assays and say, okay, is this acceptable? Am I okay with a five? Am I okay with a four? You know, you probably would be, you know, because a five is is considered excellent but then taking a step back you can look at all your assays and look at your entire menu and sort of assess okay where am I struggling where does it make sense to focus my efforts for continuous improvement and so and you know if you were to incorporate Sigma metrics as part of like a broader program you could monitor your signal metrics and how they change over time it's a way to prove that your lab is improving in quality
0: I see And you mentioned uh, the different numbers, you know, there's different ratings. Can you talk a little bit more about what the numbers mean? So a six versus a five versus a four, for
1: instance? So at the highest level, a six is better than a five, which is better than a four, etc. Each number has a rating. So six would be world class. Five is excellent. Four is good. Three is marginal. Three is kind of about the lowest you'd really want to see. I mean, metrics are not, they're not, you know, regulated things. So of course, if you, if you get a, a 2.8, you know, and you're passing your QC and, you know, you're not deficient, but it could be an opportunity for, for improvement. So that's kind of at a high level. At a little more detailed level, each, each number, um, it maps out to what is called a, a defect per million opportunities. So it's this idea. So if you have an asset at six sigma and if you took a fluid, the theory would be that if you ran it up a billion times, you would only get something outside your allowable error three times or 3.4 times. And then as the sigma metrics decrease, the amount of potential defects per million opportunities increase. So it's a scale from zero to six, but it maps behind the scenes, it maps to how often you would expect a, a result to be defective. Or outside, I should use the term outside your allowable error. That's very helpful. Thank you. I know our team at Quaid
0: Ortho developed a new approach for calculating sigma metrics using data from over 1,300 instruments used in clinical laboratories. Describe
1: for us the approach that was used. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so what we did was um, so using my background in in data science, Quaid Ortho has a large e-connectivity database that has anonymized patient results, QC results. And you know, typically that's used to to help to help customers. So for example, if they call our hotline, then we can pull up their data and and more quickly assist them. But you know the data is there in this database. And so what we did, we wanted to know what the sigma metrics were across our population. So we would take an analyzer, pull their QC results, calculate the precision, and the bias. In this case, the bias was relative to the to the peer group, and we would compare it and use the CLIA, the new CLIA 2024 limits for the um, for the allowable error. So then we would calculate the sigma metrics for that analyzer, and then we would move on to the next one, and calculate the metrics for that analyzer, and so on and so on, and so going across the entire field. So then what we have is this this giant pile, or you could say distribution, of sigma metrics. Across our field, um, and we took the median as you know, saying that that's the most representative. And so we did that, and then we repeated it for every assay that, that we examined. And of course, I say you know we did this, and really was it's all um, programming. It's all it's all done in Python, so you don't have to feel bad for you know any any person crunching through Excel. It was it was done much more efficiently than that. For how many assays did you uh, use that approach for? So it's over 100. It was 113. And, you know, I kind of, I get the question of, you know, why, why that number? Why not, you know, are quite or those entire vitro's menu. And the truth is that you can't actually calculate sigma metrics for every possible assay because some assays, they're qualitative. So like hepatitis, right? It's either like a true false. So you can't, there's no concept of allowable error. There's no gray Area that you can that you need in order to do this calculation. So, all of those, you know, the virology testing, the drugs of abuse, any qualitative test uh, was excluded. But, you know, our chemistry and our amino assays, they're well suited to this type of metric. So, that's what was included. That makes a lot of sense. Tell us
0: more about how the idea came about.
1: Well, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, kind of chatter in the industry. A lot of our, um, a lot of other IBD companies are using sigma metrics to measure quality. And so, you know, why not? Why not us too? And knowing that historical QC data is generally considered, you know, the most representative and coming from a data science background, we just, we just felt that it was something that we could bring to this space. Um, some new insights. Definitely very, very valuable insights. Speaking of
0: which, so tell us more about the value of using real world data to perform these sigma
1: metric studies. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So, I mean, at the end of the day, when you're looking at data, so of course, if you measure your own sigma metrics, that's the truth and that's, that's the most relevant to you. But if you were interpreting a different study, or if you wanted to know how your sigma metrics compared, you have to compare them to something. And there's literature and there's there's reported values and then it kind of becomes okay well is that data representative of what I should expect and that's where the value of real world comes in it helps pinpoint what you can expect because you know if if the study was conducted in you know one on one analyzer in one reagent lot in a manufacturer's facility somewhere under these pristine controlled conditions where the techs had nothing else to do you know they're going to they're probably going to report really good sigma metrics and but that's not really representative on the same token if you're reading a study and it's it's one lab and one data point that's certainly better because it's it's a real lab but you know it's different processes, different factors, it's it's hard to know how representative that is so bigger studies with more analyzers can just provide like that that more clear picture around what's what's realistic to expect for, for this type of data. Yeah, that's great that you are
0: able to use data from from so many instruments, from over 1,300. To wrap up this great discussion, what should laboratorians be aware of
1: when interpreting sigma metrics? It's another good question. Um, so it kind of ties into the value of real-world data. It's, okay, looking at it, is this representative to the reality that you exist in, right? So, you know, how many... How many analyzers? Where were these? Where was this conducted? Is this a real lab? Is this a manufacturer's facility? Because it's the fact is, it's really easy to cherry pick. You know, I myself could, I could find in my data set, a customer with excellent sigma metrics, just as easily as I could find a customer that's that's struggling for various reasons, and their sigma metrics may not be so stellar. Um, It's just it's too easy to do. Right. So just kind of being aware for these sort of cherry picked cherry-picked studies and cherry-picked results and kind of just have that have a grain of salt when you're looking at them. And then and then the other thing is you know are they testing assays that you run or is it is it really representative of your menu? you know because I've seen I've seen studies where you know they run seven assays and of course that data could be insightful for that lab and those assays. but if you're trying to think about the quality of a lab, you know, you really need more than seven assays, right? So to kind of summarize, you want the more assays, the better. And of course, real, real data from real labs. That's great advice and great key takeaways. Thank
0: you so much, Joanna, for this very insightful and informative discussion today on the topic of sigma metrics. Oh, thank you so much. I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast episode make sure to review sections within the podcast description and suggested reading materials and links to learn more. Based on today's podcast, I'll leave you with our pop quiz, What Combination of Factors Contribute to the Sigma Performance Observed in the Lab? You can go back and listen again if you'd like some more details. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe to Quiet Out Ortho Science Fights, our monthly podcast, brought to you by Quite Ortho Corporation, where we are transforming the power of diagnostics into a healthier future for all. Take care.